0: Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast with your hosts, Jason Balin and Ian Horowitz.
1: What's up, up, Ian? What's up, man? It's Friday. It's raining. It's Memorial Day weekend. I guess Bill Gates is controlling the weather, wants to get us inside. I'm not going to go down the conspiracy route, but that's what's going on. What's up, man? Nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, every
0: day is similar to me. It's, you know, I didn't even realize it was Friday. You know, every day is kind of the same.
1: You know, one thing we do. Like, what's that? Uh, I was going to say, does it feel like Groundhog's Day to you, though? Is it like every yeah. day is the same, like monotonous, or like every day is the same and I love being home and, you know, grinding away and not having to go to the office I, every day?
0: I, I, I love grinding away. I'm fortunate that I'm in, I have a business model that I enjoy and, and like, and I talk to a lot of people every day. Uh, especially over the phone. A lot of new real estate investors, a lot of existing real estate investors. So it's it's all good and I enjoy it. So today is Friday, May 22nd. If you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast. I'm Jason Bell from Hard Money Bankers and this is Ian Horowitz from Equity Warehouse. We started this podcast about 60 days ago and we've been going live pretty regularly with the most up-to-date uh, real estate uh, oriented content we invite other real estate investors, experts uh, onto the show. Today, in a few minutes, we are going to introduce Martin Steins. uh, And we're going to talk about note investing. And even though I've been in the private lending space uh, with our company for 13 years and have been involved Uh, in actually before that, I don't know much about note investing besides uh, just being the originator on the note. So I've got something to learn as well. And uh, he's got a lot of good tidbits to share. So what else we got today, Ian? Anything?
1: Um, I think I think uh, between what he's going to share and the the case study that he's going to share, you know, it's going it, to we're going to run pretty long here. Um, but if we don't, I think there's some amendments coming to the PPP stuff. Um, so if we can get to that, we'll talk about that. Uh, we're gearing up towards June 1st, uh, June 8th. The court's open here in Maryland, um, so maybe we'll get to some of that stuff and see what people are talking about um, and go from there so i was fortunate enough to meet martin oh my god i guess must have in 2013 or 14 uh at a local real estate event you know i hope they all come back because that's where i do meet a lot of people um i was lucky enough to meet him and then we coincidentally met again at a, another note investing event it was right when i was getting involved in real estate was trying to learn and see what's going on out in the world and uh fortunate enough to stay in contact with him and watch his business blossom. Um, and I think the best thing to do is bring Martin in. Sure. Hey, Martin. How are
2: you? Good. How are you guys? Welcome, good, man.
0: Welcome. Thank welcome. you for having me. Uh, so, absolutely. absolutely. So first, why don't you just give everybody a quick background of who Martin is, a little bit about yourself, and then – if you want, maybe just jump right in to what is note investing. And that's kind of a good logical first question to, to answer.
1: Absolutely. Saying, you're, you're the oddball here,
2: right? We all <laughs> invest in real estate and you invest in uh, real estate, but not real estate. So actually I have a that. portfolio of buy and hold residential commercial properties in the DC area too. So, so, but, 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 um, my, my thing is note investing. So, uh, I, um, but anyway, um, so so my wife and I started a company, a government contracting company in 2004 after I got fired from a corporate job for um, not playing politics well. And we decided, my wife and I decided at that time that, you know, corporate America working a job, a sing, having a single stream of income was not going to cut it for us. So, um, you know, we went our own route and we kind of ha- spent about a year in the forest, so to speak, um, developed a um, put together government contracting company that sold museum exhibits and signage to the federal government. So we did that out of our basement of our home for a few years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And from that, we um managed to build that into up to a multi-million dollar company and we with, with the uh, proceeds we purchased our first building in Woodbridge Virginia whereby we operated our company out of so nice. um, you know from that point we we bought you know various commercial properties and residential properties and ended up selling our company in 2013 so from that point I really just had a lot of time to figure out what I wanted to do from that perspective. So what I realized though is that I did not receive uh, financial freedom from small business ownership because I was stuck to the grind. I was working, you know, 90-hour work weeks. I was stressed out, you know, as all as all as all can be. And what I realized from landlording is that it didn't produce enough positive cash flow to meet my financial aspirations in life. So um, from that point, I said, "Well, let me let me uh, venture off." I, I ran into node investing, and so that's where I've been ever since. Now, what is node investing? Well, node investing can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but from my perspective, I'm going to discuss node investing in the secondary market space. So these are loans that are already originated; they're originated with with uh, through financial institutions, with Fannie and Freddie underwriting guidelines being met, and at some point these mortgages became in default, so the borrower stopped paying. So they're what what we call distressed mortgage notes, uh, whereby the borrower is beyond ninety days past due. So what what banks and other lending institutions do is they they bundle these up in pools and, and they sell them off in the secondary space to, to various hedge funds and, and, uh, and, and other capital investment firms. So what my company does is we have key strategic relationships with um, some of the larger hedge funds and we, ha- we became a large buyer of junior lien distress notes across the country. So, so that's kind of how I built my business model. Um, I, I actually, I, it's the same way Jason was uh, curious about, you know, no, you know, working, no, uh, wor- the working out of note investing on the secondary side, I'm always curious about the originating side. Cause I don't know much about the originating side. What I do know is I know how to, I know how to properly source mm-hmm. and vet a note whereby the borrower has not made a payment in years. And I know how to understand the value of that property and the borrower and their ability to pay me now. And so from that, I purchase those notes at deep discounts. And then I, with the single mission of working with the homeowner to help them keep in their home with a payment plan they can afford. So I have a very low foreclosure rate on the mortgage notes I buy. Um, 95% of them end up with some type of payment plan or payoff, um, through, with the bar. And so, so over the years I have, um, obtained, you know, I, I have worked out hundreds of these loans. Um, you know, I have purchased over a thousand of these notes and, uh, and I've built a business whereby, whereby I'm accumulating additional streams of income, you know, through mortgage right. notes. Yeah, no, that it's absolutely
1: awesome. And it was funny when we when we jumped on here, and I want to recap what you said, but you know, the difference between what I do and what Martin does is I rehab houses and I manage tenants. Martin rehabs loans that were already issued by somebody like Jason and works with borrowers, right? So that's that's the inherent difference. But I want to recap what you said. I just want to make sure everyone understands when you're talking about junior liens, you're talking about second position notes, i.e. or people that took out second mortgages for whatever reason. Number two, if you could comment, um, just so people really understand the difference in what you're paying, because on day one, Jason's issuing a note uh, dollar for dollar. When you're buying them in junior position, you're buying them for pennies on the dollar. So if someone had a $100,000 loan, on average, what are you paying? $0.25 on the dollar, $0.50 on the dollar, where are you
2: at? Yeah, actually, that's a good range, Ian. Um, so, so on the low end, you know, um, on the low end, I could be at seventeen cents. On the high end, I could be at fifty-two cents on the dollar. So, um, you know, a lot of people kind of emphasize what's the cents on the dollar, but but how when, when you kind of get going on these loans, you you're, you're really focused on what's the potential return from this investment. That you know, what's the cash on cash projection? What what's the IRR? And, and you're not as focused on um, you're not as focused on cents on the dollar. And it's interesting. I know when I say junior liens and you, and you clarify that second third mortgage liens for someone like Jason, you know your, your world, Jason's probably like, I have to be in first lien position. I need the security. I need low LTV. I need lots and lots of coverage in case of foreclosure. Uh, but um where, where i'm buying i'm not i'm staying away from first liens because um, in the secondary market not on the origination side but in the secondary market um, ju- senior liens i.e first mortgages they usually are tied to low fair market value properties so the junior liens i buy are in properties of 150k on up to you know several million. Right, and sometimes those houses could be underwater, but you
1: you find ways to get them out. Um, but right, you know, you're not always, you're not always looking for equity. Whereas Jason needs equity on day one. Mm-hmm. In some of these cases, you might say, I don't care that the property is fully leveraged on the first position. I still know for whatever reason, in second position, this person has a connection to this property for whatever it may be. You know they've been there for seven years they they've done this or they've done that and you can you find those things and make uh, makes it more comfortable for you to buy those
2: second positions correct actually no equity coverage is a big part of it on the junior lien side too okay. uh, you know I, I stay away from uh, underwater properties where there's no cumulative loan to value that is the that's the senior lien balance right. along with your balance against the property value um, so I look for full equity coverage. So if the property is worth 150k and and um, the senior's at 100k, and I'm at 50k, then I'm at 100% cumulative loan to value, and I'm technically fully covered on that loan. So so that's exactly what I look for because that gives me protection against certain bankruptcy filings. Um, but but it also gives me some leverage when I'm when I'm in negotiations with the bar. All
0: right, so I've got a obviously a few questions and. Primarily, I'm assuming these are homeowners. These are homeowners? First? Yes, okay, They're residential, um,
2: correct.
0: Okay. So they're, re- they're residential home- homeowners. Um, and we'll talk about it in a second. I see some questions popping up of like, how do you find these deals and things like that? And we'll get to that in a second. But just so everyone understands the structure, because I actually don't fully understand the structure yet. So um, let's say a property's worth 200 grand. They have a first mortgage of whatever, a hundred grand on the, on the property. And they have some sort of... Uh, you know, some sort of junior, junior lean, second, third, whatever heloc. Um, say it's fifty thousand dollars, right? Fifty thousand dollars. They're not, they're not paying. It's not performing. You come in, buy it at anywhere between seventeen and fifty-one cents on the dollar. So you have a fifty thousand dollars note. You're potentially buying it for twenty-five thousand dollars. Um, now the beauty of it is you get, you're able to collect up to $50,000. So you have a $25,000 spread on that. And you, I'm sure you have some sort of calculation related to, you know, what your interest rate return is on, on things like that. But I'm guessing that's kind of the structure, right? You're analyzing those and you're creating margin and spread for you because you're able to buy it lower than, uh, the amount that's owed.
2: That's correct. Um, and actually there's such a thing as legal balance. So it, if they haven't paid in three years, um, there's a per diem clock. So there's past due interest arrears that accumulate on a daily basis. So, um, if you have a $50,000 note, you could, and they haven't paid in three, four years, you could have $20,000 owed on the back end on top of the principal balance. Now, um, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that, um, and this is where this is where you can get really creative in with note investing, and this is the part of the business I love, is that I can actually use that that money that's owed, legally owed, uh, by the bar. I can use that to help them. So in other words, I can say, hey, look, if you can pay me a de- a down payment of five thousand dollars, then you know I'll waive five thousand dollars of what's owed on the back end, and I'll defer the balance. I'll defer the difference rather, and then I'll do a loan modification for the fifty thousand dollar owed. So imagine if you um, you know buy a note for uh, with a fifty thousand dollar principal balance, you buy it for twenty five thousand, and then you uh, you get a five thousand dollar down payment. Then you really are out twenty thousand dollars for that investment, and now you have a fifty thousand dollar paying um, mortgage over the stretch of 20, 30 years. Plus, you have a deferred you know kicker of of 10% that's due upon 10 K that's due upon payoff.
0: Cool. We'll, we'll keep talking about collateral for a few more seconds and then we can, uh, we can jump into probably a little bit more, what people think is more sexy stuff. I, I, you know, I analyze risk every day when I look at deals. So I, I'm, I'm curious on some of these questions. So, okay. So in essence, let's go based on that, uh, uh, the formula I said earlier. So $200,000 asset, they have a first for a hundred. I'm assuming the first is in good standing before you want to come in because if they're not, obviously you can jeopardize. Okay. Um, (laughs) jeopardize foreclosure. (laughs) If they're not paying their Um, first,
2: they're not paying you.
0: Exactly. So I, I get the, the model of cool. and And I don't know if this is the right way to look at it LTV wise or CLTV wise, but is that safe that you're trying to be at like a 75% CLTV or you're comfortable going higher, hundred percent CLTV?
2: Yeah. So, so what's interesting is, um, and this is the difference between, uh, uh, um, having a real estate hat on and having a mortgage, a note investing hat on is so much in the real estate community is deal like a uh, deal. It's tied to the fair market value, right? Fair market value, condition of property. And that's what's like pounded in the head because that's your collateral. That's what's that's what makes it safe and secure for you to do the do the the transaction. So much on my side, I wanna I wanna get a strong grasp on fair market value. I also want to understand lien validity and back taxes, and I want to understand you know uh, any encumbrances on that property. So I do want to understand the property from that perspective. But at the end of the day, I want to understand the borrower and their ability to pay me. So, so in other words, um, you know, I want to know that they're paying their first, they're paying their taxes and I want to, I want to look at their credit. I'm going to, you know, there's skip tracing tools that are available to me. So I'm placing a heavy emphasis on the bar and the ability to pay more than getting maximum equity coverage on that opportunity. Cause I'm in, in, in 90, you know, percent plus cases, I'm not taking back the property. I'm um, exiting with a loan modification in place.
0: A loan modification on on what on what side? So you're doing so you're doing you're doing the loan modification on the second, right? Because someone's selling you uh, a non-performing note or whatever the note they're selling you the note. We'll just use fifty percent because that's easy to calculate. So they're selling you a fifty thousand dollar note at twenty five thousand dollars, and I'm assuming you're doing a workout and talking to them, uh, you know, to the client. And being like, hey, listen, you know, I'm guessing you couldn't pay because your payment was $500 a month. How about we lower the payment, you know, to $400 a month or whatever, you know, can, can you make that work? And you're getting creative, on a, I'm, I'm guessing, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. You're getting creative and doing a workout on a one-off situation per person to determine what works. Um, what, ha- what does happen, though, I guess, if you have a higher leverage property and then they stop paying and they got to go... And the first mortgage has to go and foreclose. I mean, do you is it worth you even protecting your interest on it? Now, obviously, if if the property gets bid up for higher than um, you know the first mortgage owed, you you'll you'll get the difference in money up to what you're owed. But uh, you know, and I'm coming from the collateral world, so it's it's mm-hmm. tough. And I under and I understand the affordability and and the payment. And we obviously lend to borrowers with good characteristics that have the ability to cover their payments. But still, at the end of the day, my backstop is. I'm in these things at, you know, 40% plus equity cushions. So if they decide not to, I have a backstop. Like, want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I'd say the best backstop you can have with note investing is that you're buying at at such a deep discount to begin with. So so you're kind of starting out of the gate. Um, the other backstop is, and, and this is probably similar in, in your world too, is, is just um, how much emphasis you place on the underwriting process. All the due diligence that you do beforehand, so that also you know mitigates risk as well. Um, but at the end of the day, you're buying a note whereby you're not able to inspect the property, so you're going to have to make some assumptions. Um, but if they're paying their first, in a majority of the cases, they will pay you if you're able to be creative and really work with them with a the payment plan who they can afford. So where where a lot of people get in trouble with notes is either either you do not come to a good agreement with the bar in terms of a payment plan or you have a payment plan that is more than they can handle on a monthly basis now they may take it to avoid foreclosure but it's not going to be it's not going to be sustainable over the long run so the best thing you can do to really mitigate risk is two things build a relationship with a borrower I treat them like customers because at the end of the day they're putting money in your pocket so they are a customer so have incredible customer service build very good relationships with them so if they get into a jam they will call you and if they say hey look I can afford to pay you but my you know arm just adjusted on my first or something happened then then I might say we'll call them and see if you can get a hardship. Uh, modification with your first, so so and so you start building these relationships and in, in this dialogue with the bar. That's the best thing you can do, as well as give them a payment plan that works with their with their disposable income.
1: Yeah, that makes uh, that makes complete sense. Real quick before we go on to uh, how to find deals, what happens in the position? Um, Was you know,
2: the that? That's always the question. Where are the deals? All I, right, let's, true. let's let's let's, let's
1: it. find it's out. True. Let's find it's out how, how to this find question <laughs> this question. Let's find out what we said as well. Yeah, uh, ask yeah, this question. Wait, let, me, let me read this find, question. I'll, go ahead, go ahead. Ian. <laughs> how would you find notes to buy from a bank, a hedge fund? How would you approach them? How much money would you need? Plus, does my company need a note attorney? Thank you. Uh, I'm going to butcher your name, but I'm going to go with Adidia Cholag. Uh screw it. Sorry, buddy. Uh, but there you go. Either way, my man. He looks shit. cool. Yeah, hell
2: yeah. <laughs> so. um, listen, it's it's uh, it's. I'll tell you this: it's a lot less money than you think, and it's a lot more hustle than you think. So I'll kind of leave it at that. In that, um, in that, uh, people come into this industry just same as re- real estate investing, private money lending, the whole thing. They come into the space. hundred people come in every year. Ninety-five exit, right? Exit with less money than they had coming into into the industry. It's no different than node investing. And one thing that um, many people overlook is the building of an identity. So, you know, what what your brand is, um, your ability to learn the fundamentals, be a student of the industry, uh, because there's so many nuances with node investing. It's not just like, oh, let me go buy something at 50K for 25K and let's see how it all works out. no. You have to go, you have to learn how to properly vet the note. You have to learn about lien validity. You have to learn about reading um, you know county record searches, uh, reading credit reports, um, skip tracing. You have to go do bankruptcy pacer searches. I mean, there's so much involved from a due diligence standpoint. So so be a student of the industry. Um, and build an identity whereby you have a certain set of parameters. Note, these nodes, there's different sectors within, with different silos within the node industry. So you have to pick where you're going to focus on and really be a student of not just the industry, but you also need to understand who the players are in the community. Now, where do you find deal flow? The answer is very simple. It's LinkedIn. You don't need to go beyond LinkedIn to find all the notes you could ever want in your life. The but but I'll say this that that um, the people that have notes, the notes at the wholesale level that that you want to seek, those people expect you to have your game tight, because because you know you will you'll, you'll burn the bridges pretty quick. It's not like um it's not like real estate investing in that um, you could be a rehabber. And go and be in Seattle and do a bunch of crappy, shady things and burn bridges and then move to Philly and then do the same thing because nobody knows you in Philly. It's not like that at all. Node investing on a nationwide level with nationwide access, there's no little hubs. So, so when you start burning those bridges, you know, it it burns pretty quickly. So get your game tight from an identity perspective, learn the fundamentals and get on LinkedIn. There's really not much more to say. Otherwise you can go on online exchanges and buy retail all day long, but you're not going to build a thriving business from that.
1: Right. Yeah. And you can, um, you can, you can pick up the phone and pound the phone with the banks and do all that kind of stuff. But I, I think your approach makes a lot more sense to, uh, You create that identity, and that's the same whether you're doing notes or you're doing real estate. You know, you're doing flips, you're doing uh, hard money lending, whatever it may be. You know, that's your character. That's who you're putting out there, Um, and that that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You know, it's it's what your brand is and how you're going to move forward and what you know how people take you and trust you instantly um, and willing to work with you. I see. uh, I see Joe Greeley. He was a note investor there for a while. Um, He says push legal. And I think what he's getting at, and if you want to comment, what's your number one leverage piece that's probably make Jason more comfortable in buying notes? What, you know, I think that at one point there was a, a big thing about going out there and sending out these care packages and all this other stuff and trying to get the borrower to call you, just like I try to get a tenant to call me to pay rent. But in the end, I just file an eviction and then everybody shows up. What's your feeling on that?
2: Yeah. Um, so I do very, uh, I do very little borrower outreach. I, I do, you know, I push legal from day one. It, it's really your only leverage. So, um, but I will say this: that um, you know, you're pushing legal. You're also setting these loans up with servicing. You have a loan servicer that sends out monthly correspondence and and year end tax forms and whatnot. So, so you have that form of communication along with legal notices. Uh, you know, along the way of the foreclosure process. However, at the end of the day, the most effective thing you can do is when the borrower does call in, because they're going to come to you when they're ready. That That's the bottom line. You cannot force the hand of someone to have it done organically is the best way for any tr- business transaction to happen. So, so um, they come to you. You need to treat them like gold. I mean, you need to start, put your customer service hat on, really start building the relationship with them. And, and, and you want to be someone that they think about on a monthly basis. And then also there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of tricks of the trade when we're doing modification arrangements and everything, we set them up on ACH payments. So they don't have to think about the money coming out. There's just a lot of other kind of, um, Steps that you can do. it makes it a good customer service gesture, but just further locks them in to paying you on a consistent basis.
1: And for somebody at your size with the amount of notes that you got going on, and you know the launch of your fund, are you, are you running customer service internally, or do you have a um, you have a uh, a call center that's handling this? You know, I understand for those that don't know, servicers are you know just because your loans with uh, Citizens Bank does not mean it's being serviced by. Them. I get a, a letter from somebody else with Citizens Bank on it. Uh, but what are you doing for customer service in the way of, you know,
2: people calling in availability? So just to give you kind of an idea of my company size, in the last 12 months, we've purchased $40 million of mortgage loan debt. So to give you an idea, we have a full-time team of asset managers that field phone calls and do borrow workouts, as well as borrowers have the ability to call into the loan servicer.
0: Gotcha. gotcha. Um, question. So I know that I, and I, and I'm assuming I'm not 100% because I don't play in the consumer world. I play in the commercial business use uh, world for investors. Um, I'm guessing the original originator of the note had to have some sort of license um, to, to originate the note. I'm guessing there's probably no uh, license to have related to purchasing of a note. Um and i guess since you guys are servicing it and but i do know that some states require uh, a license to service loans not just on consumer but also on uh, business use commercial notes do you, do you not i'm guessing you probably are exempt for most of that stuff because you're just the
2: buyer the investor of the note and not the not the originator of the note and not the servicer of the note um, the, the answer to that is a yes and no. So you bring up a great point. So um, we buy paper from major lending institutions. So uh, Deutsche Bank, PNC, Wells Fargo, um, they, they have you know, we buy from all the major lenders. And, and with that said, um, so it was originally underwritten with Fannie and Freddie underwriting guidelines. So this is not seller finance, you know, contract for deed kind of paper. Yeah. Um, so, so um, when we take it over in certain states, there's certain servicing license requirements that is no problem because our, our, the servicer we use is licensed in all the states. So, so they pick up on that. However, in certain states, you need a lender's license. In certain states, you need a third-party debt collections license, even though you're technically a first-party debt collector. So there's different nuances in different states. And that goes back to what I was saying, like you need to be a student in the industry because you don't want to buy a note in a state where you don't have a license in to to, to, pr- to proceed with foreclosure. Then Then you could get yourself in trouble.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and I'm sure like the
2: Californias of the world are, are stronger are stronger than that. But like you're right because actually, Jason, California is one of the best states to to uh, buy a note in. There's actually there's no oh, really? like yeah there's no lenders licensing. Uh, how,
0: how's, it's that, actually, how's, that, it's how's that? possible?
2: It, I, know I know it's <laughs> not,
0: <laughs> I know it's non judicial, but in general. You, you know to originate a loan you need an originators license to be a lender you need a lenders license to be a service you need a service license and you need a commercial bro- broker side but I'm familiar with you know you know because we lend in six states locally that some of them require servicing licenses or the originator but but potentially could be exempt um, on, so, on some of that stuff it gets funky but uh, okay no that's that's good to know and do you like, where's the scalability of this business? Like, it seems like there's a big human element. Like for instance, in our business, we lend about $35 million a year. And that's kind of, that. That the reason we do that is not because of uh, capital restraints. We typically always have more capital than we have deals, but that's just kind of supply based on the, the deals that we have access to, the right deals, the good deals, that we want to get our hands hands on and based on our staff. You know, in general, as you scale a business, Lots of businesses can do twice as much volume um, and make top, you know, make twice as much top line revenue, but when it comes down to net revenue, it's not much more and you're taking on a heck of a lot more risk. So over the years, like we've learned inside our business what where the numbers work. I could do more volume, but if I do more volume, that's not necessarily gonna make me much more income. I'm gonna have to hire more staff. I'm gonna have to potentially get higher license fees for so- softwares, potentially retain more, more legal counsels, things like that. So. Is, is the number you're at now kind of the comfort level or is can this be scaled and on the other side can this be a part-time gig that one individual can do where they do all the heavy lifting and they scour for the deals themselves
2: so so um, two answers so there is scalability uh, in March, Right before um, the country shut down on March 13th of this year, um, my partner and I launched a an income fund, so a 506c um, I- income fund called BQuest Funds, and and it's for accredited investors. So it's a fifty million dollar fund, and so the question on in note investing side, when you when you get to when you scale to a certain level, you don't think so much in terms of acquisition as you do in terms of of maintenance and maintaining the, the the loan modifications so in other words there's you know there's one side where you're acquiring this distressed debt and you are converting it from a distressed state to a profitable state and and you're creating long-term streams of income but then the second question is how do you maintain those streams of income so we're buying we're raising capital in the income fund and buying those performing assets that are seasoned that we worked out in various other entities into that income fund, so we can have longevity w- within the space. So um, you know, and and again, that's a whole other element. Uh, the the whole portfolio management piece is a whole other a whole other element. So that we're building out now. In terms of someone just starting, in terms of someone, you know, is there room for people? Um, there's really two. There's really uh, um, two types of node investors out there people that people that are just starting and kind of you know forming their fundamentals and they're buying on retail levels and and uh, and then there's people that are buying upstream with um, you know mid-level play on up. so so it's I'd say that um, based on how much you become a student of the industry, Will determine how how you can move upstream it's not like as much like private money lending where you can kind of build a, a uh, you can build a tribe within a certain city and, and get to know all the rehabbers and have recurring business uh, the node industry is not is very much different it, it deals with technical skill on a nationwide level and, and the more you become a student, the more you kind of move upstream for larger deal flow. So it's it's based on merit. It's merit-based. It's based on you. Now, can you have a full-time job and be a note investor? Absolutely. It's about commitment, not about time at the end of the day. <clears throat> that That's 100% true. And that's for any asset class that you're involved
1: in. You know, there's plenty of people, you know, I, by technicality, I'm a, I guess you could call me a part-time investor because I have a full-time job, right? Um And I 100% agree with that. It comes down to commitment. And most people don't want to put the time, energy, and effort in. Um, And I think you talk pretty well about the capital. Um, You know, I I think there are very, very limited spots. You can get some leverage against notes um, if you have availability. But if you don't mind, and I don't know if you do it, um, but I know a common way to recapitalize your business is potentially selling partials. Do you want to explain how that works? Because in the end, if you only have 20 grand and you can do, you know, you can buy two notes and then you get those two worked out, you know, you're getting your monthly payments back. How, how can you recapitalize and go
2: again? You know? Yeah. So I, am not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not a huge fan of, of that approach in in note investing. Whereas like if you have, I believe you can be a, 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 um, successful note investor over over the course of years, with as little as fifty thousand dollars, I, I I've seen it happen. I, I know I I've mentored some some individuals um, that have done that. Now, with that said, um, if you have limited capital, that might actually help you because you know then you need more hustle, right? You have like no other choice but but to hustle. So so with that said, if you have limited capital, you should use that to. To focus on building your identity and focus on research uh, of the of players in the industry, focus on attending conferences and self-educating as much as possible, and then creating an outreach program where you are connecting individuals a- and deal flow in the space in a very professional manner, not broker-joker manner, but a very professional manner whereby if you start making connections and you land a 50-note deal... Then you go and tap on. You go give me a call, and and uh, you know I'll take down forty five notes, and then you take down five notes. So then you can get wholesale pricing for twenty k versus going out and buying a, a you know a retail asset for twenty k. So, right. but you can also take the other approach of going buying a few notes, modifying them. And then and then selling off part of that income stream off to other you know cash flow buying investors or you can sell the whole note once it has once it hits six months of seasoning
0: nice <laughs> nice uh, one more question and then we're gonna dive into s- some Grant Cardone stuff that you were telling about telling us about earlier um, most of these notes so these secondary notes are some sort of conforming or Franny or Freddie backed originally the second. Right. So, well, this is a two part question. The first part is going to be Do you ever dabble into stuff that's not in that space? Um, You know, stuff that's not, you know, a conforming second. Um, And then the next question is Does this typically work kind of in the, I'm assuming most of these deals are probably between the 70 and 100% CLTV range, or are these deals, could these deals potentially be a lot lower? Where, for instance, someone has a hundred thousand dollars first, a 40002 dollars second, and they have a four hundred thousand dollars house, uh, and they just can't afford to pay the second. Like, does it do those happen, or does the second mortgage holder look at it as like, you know, we don't have a lot to, you know, we want to get this thing performing, but at the same time, like, we're not going to take a huge discount because we're in a really good collateral position, or do they not care about the collateral? They just care about the performance. Um, or do they just try to foreclose on it as the the second, or, you know, to me, it seems like the reason you're able to get bigger discounts. And again, I come from the collateral world, so risk world. So, you know, it's hard for me to come in to to talk about this, but like, does that, does that happen or is it on the higher CLTV range deals that happens?
2: Yeah. So, so I'll kind of touch on the second, um, your, your kind of your second thought on that, um, we we very much um, we we very much okay. So I'm going to speak in general versus what my philosophy is. So in, in general, you can with note investing, you can exit through the property, you know, uh, via foreclosure, deed in lieu, all that, all that, all all those exits, or you can exit through the bar. You get a payoff, or you get a loan modification. So really, those are the only two things. So explain what loan modification means. In your Mm -hmm. terms for this particular deal yeah so so you have a forty thousand dollar second and they haven't paid in four years so there's you know twenty thousand or fifteen thousand dollars of past due interest arrears on top of the forty thousand there's full equity coverage so uh, backing my position so i go to the bar and i I talk to them they say okay well i couldn't make payments four years ago because i was going through a divorce but now I'm resituated. I got my, you know, I got a better job. My situation's better, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, be able to pay you five thousand dollars down as a down payment, and then, and then, and then um, I'm gonna defer fifteen thousand, put it on the back of the loan to balloon upon payoff, and then I'm gonna give them a new loan or i'm going to give them a modification to the existing terms of the loan for 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 the $40,000 principal balance over the course of let's say 20 years at a at the same interest rate they were they were currently due for and and then i'll start collecting monthly payments for the next 20 years so that that's a loan okay. modification okay so you do a loan modification internally
0: yes Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, okay. That's what I was confused about is who does the loan modification, but you're doing
2: that internally. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Yep. So, so, so to answer, so to kind of further on your question, um, if you think about it this way, you know, we, I'm buying, I'm, if you look about it, if you look about it, if you think about it from the perspective of exiting through the property, which is not my philosophy. So, um, I, I, I have a pool of first mortgage non performing notes right now that I'm, Uh, the UPB, the unpaid principal balance is about 1.2 million. I'm selling those. on. uh, I sell off first mortgages the second I get them. So sometimes you have to buy blended opportunities. So you have to buy first and second mortgages when you do a takedown. Uh, It's an all or nothing kind of thing. So I sell those first off because they tend to be lower fair market value properties. And in lower fair market value properties, there's an increased likelihood you will have to exit through the property. And I never want to exit through the property. So my whole risk analysis model is mm-hmm. is telling me, can, will I exit through the bar? That that's what that's what I want to know first and foremost. So um, I, I think that's kind of. I didn't catch. I, I kind of lost track of the first question. Sorry.
0: Are they just conforming notes? Oh, like Fannie Freddie back?
2: Oh, yeah, because I I actually don't know. I can't speak to contract for deeds. I don't. I don't know the industry. I I understand there are a lot of lower dollar properties on the residential side. I know you deal with commercial side, but um, but yeah. So so it's kind of a different. There's so again different silos, right? Some people only want to buy senior lien loans, and um, and I just don't want to be a long distance landlord, and and that's essentially you're going to be.
1: And and so everybody knows. There's um, and tell me if I'm speaking out of uh, speaking out of turn here, but. When you're buying a first mortgage versus a second mortgage, you buy that first mortgage, now you're worrying about city trash fines, environmental uh, taxes, water bills, and all these other things that you can be foreclosed on and shipped out of the tax sale. Yes, in the second position, that's a possibility. But most of the time, the first mortgage is protecting themselves anyway, which
2: ultimately protects you in second position. Yeah, they're punching bag. That's how we view first mortgages. They're a right. punching bag for all the expenses that go on, all the encumbrances. Um, you know, I bought a loan in one of my first ten loans. I bought ten senior lien loans out of the gate in 2013 for 240k, all in Ohio. One of them was in the lovely town of Shaker Heights, which is in Cuyahoga County, and and um, it, the property was vacant. And they were cut the count. The city was cutting my lawn for $250 a cut and for like six months. I had no idea. That's a good and deal. Then, and then, and then I go and take the property back, deed and Lou. There's about uh, $16,000 in back taxes because, in, 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 in uh, poor areas, they charge more taxes for their residents. It's kind of crazy that way. But if you go to PA in Ohio, you'll see that all day long. They they, they overtax their residents. So so um, $16,000 in back taxes. And I go and I obtain the property. I do clean out, fix the windows, mow the lawn, and I put it up for sale because I never do rehab on the property. That's just a rule of thumb. That's a business practice of mine. And so I resell it. And then upon resale, the city has a requirement where they go into my house and do an inspection and make me fix a a whole host, a whole list of items before I can sell it at my own expense. So, so I had to go. So it was like, I just got totally hosed on the deal. And that was really my first lesson about the difference between senior loans and and junior lien loans. (laughs) That's a very important lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, man.
1: Jay, before we get to the, the good so, stuff, and, <clears> yeah, <throat> I, figure, I, I, I think
0: Jason I, intrigued. I, you, got, you got his well, brain my, working. My, out. My, my model's opposite, that's so it's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, my I mean, I'm doing for I'm doing first loans on investment, residential, and commercial properties, but again, and I've had to step in and pay taxes and insurance and stuff, and it takes my exposure from a 60 LTV potentially to a 70 LTV, and then. Higher with legal fees and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if if your loan stops performing, the first mortgage is in foreclosure, like you're pretty much screwed, I'm guessing, right?
2: Like collateral wise. And that's unless, the risk. Unless there's <laughs> equity coverage covering both. So yeah. I Unless there's equity coverage. Yeah. The seniors foreclosed and I got a big check. That's how. Exactly. E- exactly. So, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I guess in a
2: perfect world, it's
0: Hey, we can accomplish everything we're accomplishing, and we still have a backstop of having good collateral, knowing that if it goes to foreclosure, we'll but, still
1: get and to be fair though, I mean it the the price is associated with the risk, right? You know, you're paying 25 cents. You know, I've heard low as 10 cents on the dollar for some of this stuff that's completely underwater. You know, it, it's a scaling price. You know, the more risk or the less risk you want to take, the more you're gonna pay. So go in first position, go pay 70 cents on the dollar, you know, go deal with all the headaches or take
2: a little bit of risk, pay a lot less money, and hopefully have a lot more reward. Um, and that's so, where the sophistication comes in, Ian. It, because you have a senior lien in front of you, there, there's less control over that asset in, in the performance. So you have to be very sophisticated with due diligence or you're going to get burnt. 100%. a 100%. Um, so obviously you've been grinding out. You do a
1: lot of notes. Um, I know you've written a few books. Um, we'll get to that in a second but uh, I thought it was real interesting and you sparked my interest. Um, That's when I reached out to you is you have a pretty big interview coming up. You want to talk about who you're interviewing and how
2: that whole thing came about? Yeah, I got uh, uncle G is coming, coming to my, my uh, Facebook group. uh, Note investing made easier. And, uh, and and it's interesting because I'm a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, Jim Rome, all these great, great motivational figures. And so, um, you know, part part of what um, my mindset is is to always be always be out there, always be uh, you know at, you know focused on outreach, focused on connectivity, and and kind of growing my name, growing my brand and identity. So I reached out to uh, the folks at Cardone, uh, you know Grant Cardone's company, and I I you know got. I got, you know, the ear of Grant to come on uh, my podcast. He rejected me at first. Um, You know, he, uh, my, my audience wasn't big enough, but then I, I let him know that, you know, there's only 2,700 members, but they're high net worth, a lot of high net worth individuals. So from that, you know, he, he, um, I guess decided to come on, but yeah, he's coming on June 21st on my Facebook group, Node Investing Made Easier, and I couldn't be happier. Great honor. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely awesome. We follow a lot of um,
1: uh, Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels, and you know they talk about doing the dream 100. You know, pick your 100 most influential people or that could be influential to your business, and reach out to them. And you know, how can you work with them? And the fact that you took the uh, you know time and effort to do it, I think, is absolutely amazing. So um, it is possible. See people, you can interview anybody you want. Um, yeah,
2: Ian, get, get it, it, get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Your program next. No.
1: Yeah, I still see Jason brain. I still see Jason's brain working over here. I think he's still trying to process how second mortgages work. No, for the
2: record, I don't want you coming on my side of the fence
1: for the record.
0: if I if I go in on stuff, I go all in on things and I mean listen, we've we've looked at purchase notes in the past, different a little bit different than this. Obviously, first mortgage notes from other hard money lenders and things like that, but you know, they didn't didn't kind of work out, but um let's go through a few of these questions because I know you want to talk about a few of the books that you've written as well, and that's fine. So Pete Beldon wrote, Great content, guys, what is a good book website? It's the YouTube content to learn about some basic fundamentals of node investing. So if you want to share some of that stuff, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, yeah. You can go to node investing made easier.com. Or you can um, you can also go to the Facebook group it's a free Facebook group um, you know, it's a private group so you have you know I want to know who's coming in so um, I'm not trying to load it up with bars coming into the Facebook group so so <laughs> we want but you just look up note investing made easier um, the group and and there's tons of good videos on there uh, Ian I think you're in the group right I am I did I shared this here Hi. and just so you know there are people uh, good did, people did you comment any questions? Group? You can, you can, yeah. Okay. I was going to share this into my uh, group after we're done, but it, did you do it already or is Yeah, it- we're,
1: we're live streaming in there. You have a few questions to answer all oh, over there. That, that's okay, not good.
2: popularity so Yeah. I love, I love my community. I love the people in my group and uh, I view it as like, like anything else. I'm just someone on the outside. There's no one in the center of this group. There's no egos. I'm learning. I'm growing like everyone else. I stay humble and, uh, there's, there's folks in the group that are tearing it up and, uh, and they're doing things, you know, that, that are so creative and wonderful and I'm always learning. So that's the best thing that, that I've done is to, uh, really be a part of this community. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Having a network, uh, goes a very long way. And, you know, it's the same reason we do these is, you know, we we wouldn't hear this content from you or, you know, if our community, you know, we always as a backstop to say, hey, I got this problem or, "Hey, you know, someone else is asking for something and you get the trade information and it's the best way to learn. Um, so hopefully the social distancing craps over and we can start going to conferences and
2: events again. Absolutely. However, this is the best time in, in, in our lifetime for outreach. Everybody's home. I, I mean, you could probably get the CEO of Citigroup on the phone right now. I mean, everybody is at home. There's, there's been no, there's never been a better time to go and catch people before they get back to the offices and start snubbing you. So, (laughs) So now, now with that said, I would just say, you know, you're, you're either a magnet where you're attracting that deal flow, you're attracting that attention or someone else is attracting you into their sphere. So, um, yeah, building a community, being a part of that community and uh, cultivating it is the best way for you to have that magnetic effect where you're pulling in opportunities. That, you know, you're pulling in the right types of people to be in your circle.
0: What's what's your take on where the node investing industry goes over the next few years uh, with hard potential unemployment, hardships? Um You know, if you talk to any investment residential rehabbers, um, the space that Ian and I live in, you know, the market hasn't really been affected by anything over the last 60 days. If anything, it's gone the opposite of what would have thought. It's kind of like a a seller's market where there's just not a lot of inventory. So sellers list their houses and they sell above market value. But the writings on the wall related to um, unemployment, unemployment, Uh, we've we've been in a a pretty large upswing market for a long period of time that potentially stuff's going to happen and the real estate market could could soften up. Uh, Obviously, interest rates are still really low. So that has a lot to do with it. But if interest rates creep up or start rising, that will be a very, very quick effect to soften the market. How does all of that affect note investing or the type of note investing that you're doing?
2: Yeah. So, so it's interesting. I mean, you look at like 39 million unemployed, you look at, you know, past 30 years, household median incomes only increased by like six, $7,000. And you're like, how do people, how are people doing it today? Where house prices are like three times as much As they were 30 years ago, you know, prices of cars, prices of goods and services, you know, how is this all still operating as it needs to? So with that said, I just kind of focus in my own little zone. What I will say is there's going to be a growing divide between the haves and have nots within the node industry, like, like, uh, like never before seen. Um, you know, when I started note investing in 2013, you know I was a catfish. I was just bottom feeding. There was deals like every I could go. I would go zig and zag, and there'd be fish food everywhere I was going, picking up notes. that were good notes and bad notes and good notes. And, and now, right now, it's it's um, there's just a further divide between those that are seeing an abundance of deal flow. Uh, of good quality assets and those that are, are kind of struggling for, for um, you know, situating their identity, situating deal flow, only looking at kind of retail deals. So furthermore, to answer your question, from the perspective of COVID, from the perspective of unemployment and people's situations turning for, for the worse, um, all I can say is you need to have great systems in place for customer service. You need to have relationships with your bars. I mean, just like relationships with your tenants, right? You know, you want them to be able to call you if something's wrong. If, if they're going dark on you, it's because you didn't do your job. So you need to take responsibility. Everything's on you. And the people that have the systems, the people that are responsive to their bars we'll we'll find that the the percentage collected on a monthly basis will be significantly higher than the industry standard at the end of the day. And that's how you're going to survive COVID or any other kind of circumstance.
1: Nice. Yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense. I agree. It's the same thing we're doing with our tenants, you know, waiving late fees and, you know, working things out before legal recourse can take place. Um, Man, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, You know, Yeah it's it's almost motivating again to be like, oh, you know, the note industry is over there. Don't you know, do it but Ian. Don't do I know it. No, I gotta stay in my lane. I gotta stay in my lane. Only by they, seniors. Only by yeah, seniors. Thank God I'm on camera. So my business partner can yell at me and say, Hey, idiot, stay in your lane. So um, but no, it's it's motivating. And you know, for those that you know have stress about thinking about having to have a tenant or flipping a house and finding contractors and doing all this crap. Um, when there's a potential to get involved in notes and there's was another way to be involved in asset, to have your money secured by real estate, you know, a very secure investment. Um, it's just an, it's an interesting way to skin the cat again and again and again. Um, and there's always a million ways to make money and you proved it today. So thank you, Jason, you got anything else?
0: I don't, why don't we just, uh, can, I guess, leave everybody with how we can get in touch with you. There's a few people you saw that, what Pete wrote about um, uh, about that. Uh, he also wrote, okay, hey, what do you know? Can you mentor me? For um, yeah. So feel free to reach out to some of these guys uh, ap- afterwards. And, uh, and then also, po- you can post in the comments here. Typically we get a few thousand people that view these videos Uh, After the fact, we usually get a few hundred kind of in real time and then a few thousand over the over the next week or two as people are going through Facebook. And this is posted on YouTube and a bunch of other places as well. So feel free to enter your information uh, in the comments. And then, yeah, I guess before you roll
2: out, how can everybody find you
0: if they want some more additional questions?
2: I, I want I want to, I want to spend these last few minutes about you guys they already know go to NodeInvestingMadeEasier.com. Um join the Facebook group look you're you're in my Facebook group as well 2700 members they're all awesome I love I love most of them I'd say there's a few you know I'd probably do without but almost all of my love so so how can they get connected with you guys so what are you guys about and how can they get on this podcast whereby they would be they would be catching all your live streams?
1: Yeah, man. if you uh, if you want to reach out if you want to join us we we'll are happy to uh, jump out interview you know if you have something valuable to bring in the real estate world it's Ian at equitywarehouse.com and it's Jason at hardmoneybankers.com or you can find us at realestatereservepodcast.com. estate um, we're out here you know if, if you want to reach out through Martin to get to us he knows how to find us um, you know I'm a, I'm a buy and hold investor and Jason you can go ahead and explain about yourself.
0: Yeah, hard money lender.
2: Yeah, hard money so. lender to, real, to to real estate investors. Absolutely. And, so, and I've known Ian for for seven years. He's a firefighter in the city of Baltimore. And and yeah. let me tell you about hustle. You want to know about like if you guys come at if you guys come at this like oh my forty hour week cubicle job I'm so tired at the end I got to drive home this guy's fighting fires you know, day in, day out. And, and, and he'd come to some of the Rias I, I saw, like he looked a little, he looked a little roughed up. He looked a little rough, but, but yeah, he man. and he'd be pounding it and he's been pounding it for years. So I, and I got to only imagine Jason's of the same elk. And so, you know, you guys are the real deal. I appreciate you having me on and, and connecting. Well, well,
1: thank you thank for you. the love. We, we appreciate it. And uh you guys want to find Martin? I'll leave his information over there. Note Investing Made Easier uh, com, or you can find him on his Facebook group. And we appreciate, man. We look forward to seeing you interviewing Uncle G. Uh, we'll be on there to watch it, and uh, we'll plug it again right before you do it. Thank you, thank you, guys. Right, Hi, Mark. Thanks Martin. again.
0: Yes. Yeah, man. That was that was great. You know, it's always good to hear different strategies, especially that don't involve owning real estate, because so many uh, investors and so many. Uh, Real estate operators we interview and we talk to, they just assume you gotta own real estate unless you're a wholesaler, obviously. But there's lots of different ways to make money as real estate investors, and I think the important part is, is you know, this is Martin's passion. You can tell by uh, you know the way he's communicating. You know, we all have our own passions of 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 the types of deals that we want to be involved in, and the types of deals that we do, and the types of deals that we have experience in. And unless it is a passion, (laughs) it's gonna be hard. It's hard to wake up every morning and continue to grind, 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 grind. Unless it's
1: something that you love. And that's, you know, when he talks about me being at work all night and then getting up and going and doing uh, real estate the next day, I, it's a passion, man. That's what that's what makes us go. And that's what helps you wake up in the morning and, and keep it moving. You know, if you had a crappy night, if we were up all night or whatever it may be, it's what would keep rolling. So, you know, if you're working your 40-hour work week and then you go to do real estate and you're like, yeah, screw it. I can wait another day, wait another day, wait another day. Probably not passionate about it. Um so either way, man, yeah. that, that's awesome. And the fact that he's interviewing uh, Grant Cardone, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. You know, just again, like we were talking about uh, Sam Zell the other day. You know, here's Martin, just a regular guy like us, reaching out to Grant Cardone, and boom, he's talking to him. You know what I mean? Just like with Sam Zell, and he's like, it's a guy that's worth billions of dollars, has the same problems we have, you know? Um, so I thought that was – that's pretty awesome, man. So um, other than that, man, we've gone a solid hour just talking – it was absolutely awesome it takes a lot of brain power out of us so we apologize if we look frazzled afterwards um but it's a lot of information to process to bring good content to you guys if you want to see any of our old content you can check out realestatereservepodcast.com what you got going on for the weekend man it's memorial day you taking off or you you vetting deals or what are you Dude, doing well,
0: well i just realized that these things last exactly 1 hour
1: because they put uh-huh. <laughs> that. There, there you go
0: i, I was yeah. trying to go in and out to charge one while the other one was in but um, because I got two pairs of these. I got one for my main phone and I got one for my HMB sales line phone. That's um but whatever that were linked to this. No, nothing. I mean, we were, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, like we always talk about, oh, we should go to the beach or you know, get a beach house for the summer and never been able to because kids' activities, and I've talked to so many people about it, and then like chances are we're not gonna have kids' activities this summer. So this is gonna be the perfect time to rent a beach house for like a month. So very I don't know if that's gonna happen. That's uh you know, that's on my five-year plan. Uh, Terry, if
1: you're on here, Jason's doing it.
0: You know, uh, every time I talk listen to this. Every time I ask Terry Royce advice, it's the craziest thing. And, and I hope he's freaking listening because it's the god darn true. He asks me advice and I give him my I give him true advice from experience. I ask him advice, right. he tells me to Google it every damn yeah. time. He tells me he I was like, Hey man, you got any neighbors or you know anyone that you know that uh you know is renting a beach house or things like that. And he was like, "Nah, man, you should just like Google it or go on Airbnb or something like that." I was like, "No shit, I've
1: already done that." Right? Yeah, I, yeah you're, looking, every, you're looking for the backdoor deals.
0: Every question, but it's not even that. Every question I ask him, he tells me to go freaking Google it. Every question he asks me, I give him my, you know, my the true like I, I do research and I help him or I give him a contact. I say, "Call this person or do this." He tells me to Google it
1: a hundred percent of the time. Well, I guess we're Google now. Pay us like we're Google, Terry. So. Um,
0: well, I don't know, but I I was thinking about potentially doing a doing a weekend beach trip since nobody in my family has really left the house. But it's cold and nasty out, and there's more stuff I can do around here. So we'll figure
1: it out. Yeah, maybe you got to come to the Creek House. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, man, that's what we're doing. We're going to hang out at the Creek House. Hopefully, it stops raining and uh, take a few days off. June's right around the quarter uh, corner, and uh, rock and roll, man. Got some big acquisitions coming up here in June and July. So. You guys Super. ever yeah man so we got the apartment building and uh, going from there so it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of brain power over here over the next couple of weeks um, I don't think we've lined up anybody for next week so if anybody on here is listening um, you know you want to jump on it's Ian at equitywarehouse.com or Jason at hardmoneybankerscom reach out love to do it oh folly Beach South Carolina yeah that's uh that's a nice place. Uh, I think that's just – isn't that just south of Charleston? I think yeah. my brother talks about it. I think he goes yeah, down there. I yeah,
0: mean, I've been there. It's That's that's nice. Yeah. yeah I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we, we're we planning a few trips. I mean, our spring break that yeah, was supposed to be in April in Florida got pushed back, and we're supposed to go in July, so we'll we'll see.
1: I'm um, not going to lie. I just flew the other day, and it was like being on a private jet. Every person had their own row, minding their own business. How many people were on that flight? I was going to talk to you about that. Uh, The flight down to Louisiana was 51, and I think the flight coming back was 38. Um, So so,
0: was there their own row or just no middle seat?
1: Well, it was was supposed to be no middle seat if they had enough people flying. But I'm telling you, the airports are literally desolate. Um, You know, the interesting thing was when I got to BWI, out of all things, I didn't have to wear a face mask because everybody was six feet apart when you board the plane, you had to wear a face mask. But honestly, once you took off, you know, you were kind of in your own row. The flight attendants don't come around, uh, no drinks, no food service, no nothing. So, um, but either way, it was, uh, it was pretty chill and it was not as stressful as I thought it was going to be. Best part, no TSA lines, uh, and pre-check is still available. So, um, it was relatively easy to fly. So uh, I wouldn't be too scared unless you're definitely afraid of the COVID thing, or you have a immune issue that you don't want to travel. I could understand, um, but traveling was not that hard, so it was. Uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Got it. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week. Probably Tuesday and Friday next week. We'll jump on here. We'll have some new guests, and uh, we'll rock and roll. Sounds good. No, Sounds good. Man. Sounds good. I'm in. We see. will
0: see you all, or yeah, we got, we'll do an Instagram. Uh, we're gonna do an Instagram live tomorrow.
1: All right, let's do okay. it. We'll go on Instagram. Yep.
0: Um. Yeah, Instagram live tomorrow, and then sorry about that, and a few other things.
1: Uh,
0: sorry about that. I'm in later. Uh- Thanks for tuning into the Real Estate Reserve podcast. Do us a favor and like, comment, and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word too. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.